You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Have you ever thought you're doing it wrong? Parenting, partnering, just life in general. If you're a woman, chances are those internal criticisms come from history. I'm talking decades of bad advice from experts and others, advice that you would laugh at today unless someone points out to you that it's been repackaged, resold, and is still making you feel bad in 2021. That person is Kaz Cook, whose latest book is called You're Doing It Wrong, A History of Bad and Bonkers Advice to Women. All I can say is it's lucky that it's also very funny or I'm not sure I could read it. Kaz, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Lovely to talk to you again. Um, yes, uh, luckily there are lots of hilarious pictures in the book of mad medical devices over the centuries and strange corsets and hilarious hats and, you know, there, there's a lot of fun. It's fun as well as furious, but by crikey, they've been telling us some nonsense. But it's kind of like the the clergymen of the 12th century to the Kardashians. I know, that's what I can't, I can't quite get my head around. But I, I look, I do have to ask you, did you do a deep breathing course before you started researching this book? <laughs> look, I did get really cross at times do, doing this and also just completely gobsmacked, right? Like just some of the and, and and what really amazed me was that some of the advice from literally centuries ago, as you say, has been repackaged. It's a bit like you have that 12th, well, there was a bloke in the uh, 13th century who used to, in, wearing puffy pants and a feathered hat, who used to flounce around from village to village, uh, playing a banjo and singing songs to will- women and telling them to be quiet and not to speak. And that went right through all the et- etiquette books of the next centuries. And even now when women express their opinion online and on social media, they're trolled in an effort to silence them. Um, another really uh, strong one was uh, don't laugh. And I've got lots of, I, I, I did a deep, what I did a deep dive into was the archives of this country at our major museums and libraries um, and just found some incredible stuff, incredible books, uh, incredible photos, um, even finding that uh, women around the year 1900 had been as furious then as we are now that their clothes did not come with proper pockets (laughs) (laughs) and they were rebelling the best way they could, because they didn't have social media, they wrote letters to the paper and they um, filed patents with the inventions patents office of these elaborate garments that women invented with like a tie-on skirt with 12 deep pockets. And I just, <laughs> I just love that, you know. I had such a great time looking at all the archives and finding all this incredible stuff. Oh, you, like. Um, makeup from decades old and these extraordinary costumes in the Powerhouse Museum, which belonged to people who were said to have the perfect figure, unquote, of their day, which of course changed. So you can never have the perfect figure. It's literally impossible. And it's literally 
impossible to follow all of the advice women are given because it's completely contradictory. So that's why the book ended up being called You're Doing It Wrong as a nod to the fact that we're just, they're snookering us. They're making it impossible for women to feel okay. Um, Hence the imposter syndrome and the perfectionism about being a parent or what you look like and all of that. That was a long answer, Siobhan. You better ask me another question. <laughs> well, I no, I just find, you know, all those things that you mentioned there, which we often think are like maybe a symptom of modern parenting or that we're just generally more anxious today. I think the thing that really struck me about your book uh, is that when I think about my insecurities, whatever they might be, all of them have a historical precedent that you outline in your book. So what we're actually dealing with is not just um, the societal pressures today. We're, we're kind of dealing with hundreds of years of people telling women how they're not good enough. And what's, I mean, the optim, optimistic part for me is that if we can tell young women what to expect, that they're going to be told all this rubbish, if we can say to older women, yeah, yeah, you're not imagining it, we've been told, we've been fed all this absolute rubbish, then there is more solidarity. There is more, it's an old fashioned word, but sisterhood about that. We can support each other more, we can demand change. And I, I look back, for example, a few decades ago when women were told that when they were sexually harassed at work or on public transport or, you know, by a family friend, they should just quietly move out of the way, which really doesn't work if you're in a car or on a train, um, <laughs> you know, or, or at all, of course. So I thought, wow, we are still, women are still being blamed for what they wear, what they, their own behaviour. Um, where women are still being told it's their fault if they're not the perfect mother and fascinating that chapter about motherhood because um, the advice was completely insane, like like wheel your baby in its pram into a paddock and leave it there for four hours. <laughs> and and the, like to do that. But... Sure, but, you know. Um, and all of the, you know, the so-called, um, and I've just actually tweeted today a picture of a car seat from a catalogue in 1963, which is just hair-raising. But there were women being told, you know, put this bit of metal with sharp pointy bits in, on your front seat that will come up, which isn't even tied down, you know. And, and then and women were blamed uh, earlier on, looking back to the 18th, 19th century when women were, as they still are, right, like mums are mostly the people who take kids to the doctor, monitor their kids' health. Yes. That's part of our job as mums. But interesting to look back and see that when kids were still dying, babies and children were still dying of measles, polio, the things that, thank God, we've got vaccinations for now, when there were still hundreds of, of kids dying in, in any um, outbreaks in a city, women were blamed and told that they weren't dressing their children warmly enough or they were dressing them too warmly or they gave them sweets was another accusation and that that's why babies got diphtheria and whooping cough oh and God. yeah so you know there is this incredibly long tradition of blaming women for stuff that is not their fault and it's i think it, and i think it's quite those 
ideas that are passed down through generations can be quite strong, right? If you learn something from your mum who learned it from her grandmother who learned it from her grandmother, you might still be being told something like put garlic in a sock. Yes. That'll get rid of a cold. And it wasn't because garlic was genius. It was because garlic was cheap and growing in the garden. So you look back at a lot of that stuff. Oh, you know, women were blamed for miscarriages. Women were blamed for, um, you know, also husband's bad behaviour. Um, and, and to look back and see how much women were told first that God required them to do the housework and and then that, you know, being subservient to the husband required them to do the housework. Now they're being told, well, your husband's earning more, so you'll have to be the one that stays home and does all the housework. Fascinating to see it kind of morph. And, and corsets of the 1800s have become the Kim Kardashian shapewear, but it's still the idea that you've got the wrong shape, right? And that's I find that part particularly interesting because when you talk about the solidarity that we could have as women understanding all this BS, um, when you look at young women today and how they respond to social media and the people they follow and how they're embracing certain parts of their body as long as they have a you know, enormous butt and a tiny waist. And the, and you can see that it's just being repackaged, but I'm not sure that they see that because they think, oh, well, this is new, this is modern, I'm in charge of my sexuality and how I look, even though it's they're being told by someone else, as you say, that how they are naturally is not right. I think that's a really interesting point and I think it is really complicated now. I think some things are better for women now and some things are worse. And one of the worst things is how easy it is for girls to be swamped by an idea of what to compare yourself to, which isn't even real. Mm. So the pictures that you're seeing are not even real and then you're changing your pictures so your image up there isn't real. And I think that has affected the the mental health of young women exponentially. And it's one of the things I try and write about in my books for teenagers, girl stuff, because I guess what I'm trying to do, and with this book, with you're doing it wrong as well, I guess partly what I'm trying to say is if you know all this stuff, you can kind of construct yourself an invisible suit of armour, that people will still tell you this stuff, but there are things you can do to get yourself out of that place where you're judging yourself and leaving yourself open to the judgment of others. Because here's my theory, Siobhan, a lot of us grow up and then in our mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s, we start to go, hang on, that's all crap and it's impossible. So I just, I would love to give younger women a head start. Yeah. And I would love to validate, if that's not too wanky a word, the older women going, oh, I've had to realise all of this stuff on my own. And I've been really busy, right? So they're th- the advertisers, I walk into a chemist now and I see they've got bust firming cream. <laughs> and it's like that cannot work. So the pharmacy guild saying we'd like to be able to be more like doctors and dispense medicine, fine, but get the homeopathic this does not work cough medicine for kids off your shelves and get the so-called bust firming cream off your shelves. Um, and all, so, I mean, I guess part of the book is also saying to women, okay, darlings, who's giving you this advice and what have they got to gain from it? Just 
sometimes I know we're all busy and know we've all got a trillion things to do and we get to make our own choices. But just if you can take a moment and go, why are they telling me that I have to go out in high heels or what, like, why is that compulsory? Especially when you think about makeup, right? Makeup used to be called um, the deceit of the devil and it, <laughs> it was a grounds for divorce. You could get a church divorce, a man could, if he could prove that his wife used rouge or any other kind of makeup because she was deceiving him. And then <laughs> by the early 20th century, women are being told, if you don't wear makeup, you've let yourself go and you're a frightful frump. Yeah. So it's a bit, and, and I think there is still that, you know, you can, you can wear this much makeup, but you shouldn't look like that and you should look like you're sexy, but not like you want to have sex because that's tarty. Like just all this kind of almost impossibly contradictory information that comes from this mishmash of of church and government and advertising and I've been extremely rude about the old male philosophy I've got a few very rude things to say about Freud <laughs> Freud and a few other people because I didn't I didn't go to university right so I'm coming across what these guys said like Aristotle and I'm going who the hell does Aristotle think he is when he's not in the bath saying all this nonsense about you know women being inferior you know defective men's bodies and you know how come he became the father of philosophy he's an absolute twit (laughs) it does kind of make you wonder where this all started and how it's been able to just effectively just snowball you know until the first waves of feminism came through and to think we're still fighting against it now is kind of incredible in my mind. It it is, and it suits men to have these rules where women are still scared on public transport. They just don't feel it. The the sort of men who say to me, oh, I went for a walk and looked at the stars, and I think, and I always say, well, good on you. You know women can't do that. Mm. And they look shocked. So I think it's time we stopped being completely meek and said, you know, we need safe public transport. We, You know, so that's the end result is we, our daughters, if we don't want them to be going on in exactly the same way with society going, yeah, it really suits us to have you doing all this free work for society, all the housework, all the volunteer work, you know, that's, it isn't going to change unless women make it change. And I think that change has started and I do have a great deal of faith in the younger women, but I just wish we could all have more of a head start and more of more respect for what we do choose and what we do want to wear or say or any of those things so I you know although some of the book made me really cross again you know I think there is room for optimism but we I think stuff doesn't change unless we get angry and it's it's such a rule that women aren't supposed to be angry Mm, because it goes back to that idea of the hysterical woman because you you talk about this in your book um, about it, it has this historical context to it but I know today that there are times that I'm being told I'm too emotional when I get angry about something yeah yeah which you know which is so unfair I mean the hysterical thing is 
hysterical comes from the word hysteria, which was the Greek word for uh, womb. So basically what they were saying was if you if you were a woman, then you were necessarily hysterical and any sign of, I mean, you should see the list of what got you diagnosed as hysterical. It's being tired, being cross, um, <laughs> you know, be, being pale, um all all of the things that 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 happen to women if they're carrying the burdens of of a household and then the cures were absolutely ape poo crazy it was <laughs> except Gwyneth Paltrow is doing it again with goop so burning and steaming things at, near your vagina to purify them and encourage your uterus get this to stop wandering around the body what they said that the wandering womb that it, that uh, women who were unsatisfied um, and not married um, had uh, and were depressed uh, needed <laughs> needed their womb to go back in the right place. God knows, mine's probably up around my ears by now. I'm so curious. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then up right up until uh, uh, I think not much more than a decade or two ago. Women were not allowed to do ski jumping at the Olympics because the head of the Ski Jumping Federation in Europe said their uteruses would fall out. Oh, stop it. So this stuff, and and you still hear it sometimes when in America when they're saying women shouldn't control their own pregnancies, they're saying things like you can't get pregnant unless you enjoyed the sex. So there's no such thing as rape. So therefore, we don't have to help you deal with a pregnancy that you don't want that came from that. Because, And you're going, oh, my God, it's 2020. This is, but it's incredible to see. And now that I've done this research and kind of put it all in the book, and, you know, with more than 300 photos of the posters and the ways that we were being told this stuff, I'm sort of really glad that I've done it because, Every time that kind of craziness happens, I can go back and sort of pat my book and go, yes, it's in here. <laughs> we know where this has come from. Yeah. Like you said, there are sort of there are these um, ideas that have permeated through history. And, yes, I mean, I'm still going to say it's still it's astounding that this is still a thing today. But if we talk about marriage, marriage still seems to have such a – strong or hold such a strong measure of social success so women who are unmarried or who choose not to have children today are having to defend themselves that's right or or even people who have been widowed or their husband has left um and that's one of the things I talk about in the book is um because of course again it suited the church and society to have women keep being married to the point where they that's why they passed laws saying that women couldn't own property and then when they married their property passed to their husband um they were trying to stop uh widows and uh girls who had inherited from their father um they put societal pressure on her to marry so that a man would control any of her money and of course we weren't allowed to buy property or have our own money until, you know, only a century or so ago, depending on where you are. Mm. Um, and I think you're right. And some of the things that I found were sort of, you know, worldwide um, board games and etiquette manuals 
right up into the 90s and 2000s telling women that they had to get find a married man find a man and have married sex is the cha- is a chapter title of the book <laughs> and then and then beyond that right so you're supposed to kind of hunt down a husband trap him by pretending you were someone else and far more meek and then you were, there were whole books written on how you were then supposed to manipulate him without him realizing it Knowing, yeah. So basically what they're saying is not only do you do this stupid thing, but then you have to be in a really unhealthy, toxic relationship, which we're giving you step-by-step instructions to do that, you know, there, there was no idea, you know, you need to pretend to your husband that he's the boss, but to get your own way, here's how you can manipulate stuff, which meant that men were writing col- columns in the newspapers saying how dastardly and deceitful women were. And yet the men running the newspapers were still running the columns telling women to be like that because they weren't allowed to have any independence or power within the relationship. And even in the tradition of, and I totally understand that women who do this now are not doing it for the old reasons, but the reasons why fathers give girls away, in a, give their daughters away in a marriage ceremony was originally a legal thing to symbolise that he had kept her virginity by making sure that she had stayed chaste in the family home. So he was delivering a virgin to the husband and that was the symbol and also he was giving the authority over the woman to the husband and he, the father, would no longer be able to tell her what to do. It was now the husband's job. See, there are women everywhere now cringing, <laughs> going, no, really? Oh, and, and I get, I think you can change those traditions. You know, I think you can, and I think people are, they're having both parents uh, give away the bride or do something symbolic. Um, but that whole idea of a, of a man going to a father to ask for permission to marriage, to, to marry the daughter, is was literally somebody coming and saying, I now want to be the boss of your daughter and this is how many cattle I own and how rich I am, and the, and the father going, yeah, okay, sometimes against her wishes. So I think, I think that tradition of asking the father for permission is creepy. Mm, but I, yeah. think, I think the other ones you can sort of change to a modern, and, that, and that's why women changed their names originally, and I think some women do that now because they hate their old name or they, they they want to take their husband's name, but so many of them regret that when they're the ones that have 18 months of really annoying legal documents <laughs> trying to change their name on everything. Oh, um, yeah. Why is that still so hard? I mean, speaking of marriage, I mean, once you're married, then, of course, your duty as a woman is to procreate and bring children into the world, which takes us into a whole other level of, as you've mentioned earlier, things that ideals of women being the perfect mother. One thing that I really... um, Which is impossible. That's the thing about the idea of the perfect mother, right? Mm. It simply doesn't exist. Yeah. But it's something that's put on. It's like saying to women, you have to be a penguin. (laughs) <laughs> it's just literally impossible I love I love that metaphor that that works brilliantly for me um because like as I mentioned earlier I I thought a lot of my uh insecurities or 
internal criticisms had something to do with modern living. Um, and one of the things I have found really hard to do is just to rest. Since becoming a mother, sitting down oh, and reading yeah. a book feels like, oh, I, I, I just surely I can't do that. I can't just do something for myself now. Um, and it's it's quite an intense thing to grapple with. But that is also something you write about that mothers uh, shouldn't ever rest. Yes, and it was actually expressed in, in exactly that way, that women had to be sacrificial, that if they had a spare, it was also said of um, servants, right? If you have a spare moment, the devil makes time, the devil makes work for idle hands. So you couldn't just sit there having a think, let alone seeing what was on Netflix. <laughs> you had to do needlework or cook something or prepare something. And the, the burden of housework, we've just got no idea that we are the last one or two generations in a long, long line of generations that had to take two days to do heavy washing of sheets and blankets and everything by hand um, and then and then iron it which is the stuff they ironed you know is insane so it wasn't just that you had to marry and then do and then the other crazy thing is all these rules of you can't be idle you know you you and people were having like eight kids 12 kids because they they couldn't control their own fertility they couldn't there was no reliable um, contraception. But all those rules, all the etiquette rules, all the this is how you run a household rules came down from the upper class. It was written in, in books. It was literally written by aristocrats telling the, the working class and then the middle class how to do stuff. And they all had houses full of servants. So the advice is completely useless because Absolutely. there are some things I mean, how any of them had any spare time, I don't. And, and that's the other thing, right, that until sewing machines, every single stitch of clothing in a household was made by the mother and daughters by hand sewing and then later by machine sewing. Gosh, my family would be in big trouble. Well, I know. <laughs> but, you know, like two generations ago, my nana had a sewing machine, my mum had a sewing machine. Mm. Most of my friends don't. And if they do, it's more like a bit of a hobby thing. Like no one's making everybody. I don't know anyone who's making everybody's clothes. No. Thank goodness that's ended. But instead of that, women have been told you've got to have a full-time job or a part-time job and still do most of the housework. So somehow they're still, that's what was interesting to me as well, um, you know, that somehow, no matter what happens, it's still women who are supposed to to take the burden. What and that's the other thing. Years ago, it was kind of like, well, you don't have to be you don't have to be gorgeous and try and trap your man until you're sort of late teens, and then you sort of do, and then you get your husband, and then he can sort of let yourself go. But then with the whole sort of Revlon and L'Oreal got going, and so no one was allowed to let themselves go. And now there's this big thing with people going because advertisers have realised menopause is going to be a huge thing and we're going to have this huge population bulge of menopause people. They're going, oh, let's sell them a whole lot of wellness supplement rubbish and <laughs> let's have these models in the ads who are 76 but used to be models. Yeah. 
So you're supposed to look sexy from the time you are two until you are 98 now. Which <laughs> is just, well, that, and that's one of the things that got worse and it's ridiculous. I know, I can't, I can't quite fathom that. Now, listen, I could talk to you all afternoon, but I'm only going to get crankier. Uh, so, <laughs> well, you know, you've got to go back and look at those photos of crazy hats and silly dresses. And look, there look are a lot of those, but I also have to say that your writing is just so delightful because you'll be getting into something very serious and I'll be getting very angry and then you'll just pull some insane funny line and I'll find myself laughing when I probably feel like crying so if of all the people who could have written a book like this I'm glad it was you Kaz oh Siobhan that's <laughs> I, that means a lot to me thank you that's lovely well it, it is um it's definitely a book I think a lot of women should have on their shelf just to flick through or maybe throw at a man or or <laughs> give to your mum and go oh mum get, yes. I get it <laughs> yeah I totally get it well there's I sort of read somewhere in that book that you're going to do another one oh my next book is about menopause so it's going to be like in the style of up the duff so up the duff telling everyone about pregnancy and I'm going to do a menopause version of that oh brilliant but uh, I just want to lie down for a minute I think you need to (laughs) not not have a Bex and a lie down as you say in the book no because that whole story in the book about how Bex was actually killing people so have a Bex and a good lie down that is one actually get up again (laughs) the older generation of women if you say to them have a Bex and a good lie down they know exactly what you're talking about and how hard that was marketed but a lot of people don't know it was actually killing women for Anyway, we can cheer up. We've got, we've got to cheer up. Look at the funny bit. Look at the funny bits. Kaz, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's Kaz Cook. Her book, her latest book is called You're Doing It Wrong and it's out now. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.